So we're working through the gospel according to John in this series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today we're in John chapter 10, considering two more of the seven I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. Jesus says today, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Uh, But for today, what does it mean for Jesus to be the gate and to be the good shepherd? Uh, Well, this teaching is such good news for us because it gets at the heart of God's heart for us, his people. And so how do you think God feels about you? Isn't that a modern question? Rooted in our emotions, how we feel. How do you think God feels about you? Have you ever thought about that? How you answer that question will say a lot about who you think God is and probably how you feel about yourself. Do you think that God is pleased with you or is ashamed or embarrassed by you? Do you believe that God is near to you and is involved in the details of your life? Or is he far away and removed because he really doesn't care for you at all? Well, friends, you don't have to wonder how God feels about you because God has revealed exactly how he feels about you in his word. And today, in these I am statements of Jesus, we have dual images of Jesus both being the entry point into the flock, into, the, into a relationship with God, and of Jesus watching over us like a shepherd watching over their flock. And these both pictures, these are two beautiful pictures of the heart of God for you. Now, there's a bonus lesson in this passage which relates to pastoral ministry. We get a little window into the type of leaders that Jesus wants in over his flock in the church, and so we'll see that as well. So, important passage, beautifully good news. Please take a Bible or your Bible app and open to John chapter 10, starting with verse 1. There's so much for us here. So we're going to read through, we're going to unpack it a bit as we go, and then come back to how do we apply this to our lives today. So let's start with verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, Anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Okay, let's pause there. Any surprise uh, so far in John's gospel? No, no surprise. Okay, so last week we saw Jesus had healed a man who was born blind. And this was a picture, really, of a living parable, if you will, of our need for spiritual sight to see what is real, what is true about God, about ourselves, about the world around us, and so forth. 
So this healing was subsequently investigated by the religious authorities who thought Jesus was a false teacher and were convinced that he had done some sort of trick. They sought to disprove or discredit this miraculous sign and even started throwing people out, like this brother from last week, out of the synagogue for saying that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah, the chosen one that God had promised to send to his people. So we ended our passage last week with the ironic situation where the blind man could see while the Pharisees who could see were actually blind to the truth. And Jesus told them to their faces. Okay, that is Jesus. Here, Jesus continues this line of thought by making a very serious statement which condemns their leadership. This teaching starts with the phrase, very truly I tell you, and we've seen this throughout John. This means pay attention. This is important. Now remember, he's talking to the Pharisees here, the religious leaders of of their day. And later, Jesus will move the focus more to the sheep, but here he's talking to the, the ones who were supposed to be the shepherds of God's people. Now, the idea that a shepherd represents a leader of God's people runs throughout the Bible. We see it from start to finish. Now, being a shepherd wasn't particularly glamorous. It was hard work, mostly outdoors, what we would consider a sort of blue-collar job today. But there were some famous shepherds in the history of the people of Israel. Think of Abraham or Moses or King David. All of these men were shepherds. In in Psalm 23, David says that the Lord is our shepherd, that God is our shepherd. So shepherding became a common image of leadership in ancient Israel. In fact, the word, our word today for pastor comes from the Greek word for shepherd. So to pastor means to shepherd. But here, Jesus says that some of those who may have the position of a shepherd, as a Pharisee, as a religious authority, or someone who think of themselves as shepherds, are not, in fact, true shepherds. And this is as true today as it was back then. There are false teachers. There are false prophets. There are false pastors. But Jesus says that the sheep will ultimately not follow them. Of course, we... Fallible human beings can be deceived for a time, but ultimately, we will not follow these false leaders because we will not recognize their voice. And they will see these, the people will see these false shepherds that they do not have a personal knowledge of their people or personal care for their people. When Jesus said this, the Pharisees didn't fully understand just how devastating or critique this would be about them. But Jesus makes this bold statement about the quality and the legitimacy of their leadership. Now, instead of walking this back as like a good political leader, uh, he, as always, doubles down, as we've seen before in John's gospel, because Jesus never shied away from conflict when it was needed. Prince of peace doesn't mean prince of sweeping things under the rug. Well, it's abundantly clear through the Bible that God can't stand it when his people are misled. And so Jesus will, of course, double down. Look back at verse 7. We'll continue. Therefore, in light of this misunderstanding, 
Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, wake up, pay attention, this is important. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay, let's pause here one more time. So so here, Jesus makes two more I am statements. There are seven in John's gospel because he loves the number seven. Uh, I am the gate and, or the door for the sheep, and I am the good shepherd. So first let's consider what Jesus means by saying, I am the gate. Okay, in this picture of sheep and shepherd, the fence or the sheep pen does several things. First, it represents a boundary around the flock, a boundary defining who's in the flock and who is not. But also, the fence would provide protection for the sheep, keeping thieves and predators, like the wolf, out and away from the flock. So the sheep have to come in and go out by the gate. I don't think sheep are good jumpers, so they cannot jump over the fence properly made. They have to go in and out through the gate in order to get the safety and the life of the sheep pen. So in, in the third of the seven uh, I am statements, Jesus says that he is the gate. He is the entry point into the flock. In other words, in order to find life, in order to find security, in order to find green pasture, in order to find any sort of relationship with God, we must go through him. But for those who enter into the flock through Jesus and through, as we discover, through faith in Jesus, he says, you will be saved. Not you might be, or hopefully, but you will be saved. Now this means that Jesus is claiming to be the only way into a relationship with God and into the family of God, into the kingdom of God. Later in John's gospel, we'll consider the exclusivity of this claim. It's a radical claim. That Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we'll consider that in several weeks. But then, Jesus adds here, this fourth I am statement, he's, he's not only the gate or the way in, he's also the good shepherd. He is the one who oversees the flock and leads the flock, shepherds the flock. 
So he keeps the same analogy of sheep and shepherd, but then Jesus gives us another image to help us understand who he is and what he is doing in the world. And he says not only is he the entry point into salvation, into life, into the, all of the kingdom of God, but he's also our shepherd, our leader, the one who watches over us. And so according to Jesus, this is what Jesus does as our shepherd. He knows us. And he calls us by name. He speaks to us. He goes ahead of us, leading us and guiding us for our good. He feeds us what we need and provides for us over and over again. He does not use us. In fact, he's even willing to lay down his life in order to protect us from the abuse of the thief or the attacks of the wolf. He will not abandon us like a hired hand who's just doing a job and doesn't really care for the sheep. He will be faithful to us and will defend us for he cares for us as our shepherd. Now, if this is true... This is such a compelling image of who Jesus is and what he does. If you want to highlight something in your Bible, go ahead and highlight verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. This is so significant because this could be the mission statement for Jesus. It certainly fits with the main message of, God, of John's gospel, right? Of finding life, real life, eternal life, abundant life in Jesus' name. But this is why he came, not to steal or kill or destroy. That's the work of the devil. But instead, to rescue us, to save us, that we might have life and have it to the full, even at the cost of his own life. And any true shepherd of God's flock will shepherd like this. Let's continue with verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it back up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I have received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. So Jesus finishes his teaching on, on being the good shepherd by saying that he will bring in sheep that are not of this sheep pen. Now what does that mean? Well, this is a reference to the inclusion of the Gentiles or non-Jewish people along with the Jewish believers into one flock with one shepherd. As Paul says, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. But how would this be accomplished? How would Jesus 
accomplish these things that he's promising? Well, he immediately starts talking, did you notice, about his death and resurrection. He can't talk about his mission for very long without talking about the cross and the empty tomb. He says that he will lay down his life only to take it up again, and he has the authority to do so. (laughs) Friends, I do not have such authority, neither do you, okay? But this is Jesus. Now, as we've seen several times already, the people just didn't fully understand that Jesus was speaking literally and not figuratively here because no one expected a dying Messiah, So the people were divided again. Some thought he was crazy or demon-possessed. Others thought the miracle of giving sight to the blind meant that he might be the one he was claiming to be, even if they didn't fully understand the language about his death and resurrection. Now, of course, after the death of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world, And after his resurrection from the dead, many people would finally be able to see as our brother last week saw. Now, just as a, I think this is a great definition of what it means to be a Christian here. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it doesn't matter how you were raised or how good of a person you are. Both then and now, It's people who truly see Jesus and believe in him and trust him with their lives who have come through the gate and have been welcomed into the flock of God to know Jesus and follow Jesus as the good shepherd. That's a Christian. Well, what does this mean for us today? For those of us who are trying to follow the way of Jesus, who are trying to follow Jesus as the good shepherd, how can we apply these dual I am statements to our lives today. Well, for the remaining time we have, I'd like to give you two thoughts. And one is related to how God feels about you, how, where we started from, right? Now, the other one is related to being a, a pastor and the ministry of an under-shepherd. So we'll take those in reverse order. First, let's consider pastoral ministry. So in the Old Testament, uh, God's people were led at various times, various places by prophets, priests, kings, and judges. Now in the New Testament, the language changes to apostles assisted by deacons initially, and then elders and overseers later on. So the 12 apostles were chosen by Jesus to be eyewitnesses of his life and death and resurrection, his whole ministry. After the death of Judas, the betrayer, they selected Matthias to replace him, and then Paul was selected as one, as he says, unnaturally born, I think. Um, And Paul was selected by Jesus to be his apostle to the Gentiles. Jesus got to pick an extra one there at the end. So after his resurrection and his ascension back into heaven, the church relied on the verbal testimony and then the written testimony of these apostles, these eyewitnesses who were there, who saw, who heard, who experienced these things, like John, for example. But as this generation, that first generation of people who could be eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus passed away, Then the leadership of God's people moved away from the apostles directly to the teaching of the apostles, which was led by the elders or overseers of the local church. The apostle Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's look at that together. He writes, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. Okay, that's significant because he's an apostle, maybe even the foremost of the apostles. 
And he identifies here as an elder of the local church. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who will also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock." And when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus returns, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So according to Peter, the elders of the church were to pastor or to shepherd the people in a way that sounds a whole lot like Jesus describing his work as the good shepherd over and against the work of the thieves and the robbers. There should be a willingness to serve, not a compulsion. And the leadership given ought to be for the benefit of the flock, not for the benefit of the pastor primarily. Now this is such a radically different view of leadership or power or authority compared to the ways of the world. There are many people today who I think rightly believe that any power, whether it is a position of power or by nature of your influence over people, is inherently oppressive. I say it's understandable because often power is corrupted. But power and authority in God's kingdom is totally different. It's completely upside down compared to the world. Because in God's kingdom and for God's shepherds, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So power is given to serve the needs of the others, not for selfish gain. Authority is not to be a tool of oppression, but one of liberation, of freedom, of life and joy and peace. Jesus is the chief shepherd, but think of the cross. The chief shepherd was willing to lay down his life for us, the sheep. Now compare this to what Jesus says about these illegitimate shepherds, the ones who couldn't and didn't come in through the gate, through him. These people might have the title of pastor or the authority of a pastor, but according to Jesus, they are robbers and thieves. They're only there for their personal advancement or gain or profit. They'll run away at the first sign of danger or difficulty. Or worse, they're wolves who attack and divide the flock, who steal, kill, and destroy. Now, this is a warning for you, church, for the flock of God. If the pastors or elders of this church ever remain in violation of these instructions from Jesus and his apostles about the nature of pastoral ministry, we need to be corrected or perhaps removed from the position. Because no one is above accountability because the only authority that church leaders have is the authority given to us by our chief shepherd. Now I know that some of you have had experiences at other churches, perhaps, where a pastor said something that wounded you or used you or even abused you in some way. And this is a grave sin. You have to know that God will hold them accountable. Just read Ezekiel 34. The whole thing is a blazing indictment by God of the so-called shepherds of the people, but it ends with the promise of God that he himself will be the shepherd that the people need. 
a promise clearly fulfilled here in Jesus. And this leads me to my final thought. God cares so much for you, his people. He cares for the flock of his pasture. How do you think God feels about you? Well, the answer in the gospel, in fact, the answer of the whole Bible is that God cares so much for you that he was willing to send his one and only son into the world to lay down his life for you, to rescue you, to redeem you, to save you. And so Jesus is both the entry point into the flock, into a relationship with God and his kingdom, but also he is the good shepherd. He is the one who leads and feeds and protects us because of his great love for us. So today, do you hear the voice of your shepherd? Do you hear him calling you by name? Are you willing to listen to him and be led by him even when you don't know where he is leading you or when you don't understand why he is allowing certain things to take place in your life? Do you trust your shepherd? You can trust him because he goes before you. There is no place that he will send you where he has not been first. There is no trial, there is no temptation that you might face that he hasn't already defeated. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will stay with you through every danger. He will defend you against every attack of the wolf. He offers you life because he offered his. Jesus is both the way in and the way forward. He offers both protection, identity, but also provision, guidance, companionship, both now and forevermore. How does God feel about you? Listen to Jesus. He is willing to come and live and die and rise again for you. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, you are the good shepherd. Thank you so much for your ministry to us. Thank you so much that you make a way for us to be in your flock. And thank you so much that you lead the way going forward. You lead us along the right paths for your name's sake. Help us to remember that you as our shepherd, in you we lack nothing. But Lord, that in you and through faith in you, we have everything that we need. Lord Jesus, I pray for us, the leaders of this church, as we so often pray when we gather together, I pray that you would lead us and empower us and guide us in leading your people, the people that you've entrusted to our care. Lord Jesus, would you correct us when we need to be corrected? Would you forgive us? Would you forgive me as a pastor when I sin, when I wander? Would you restore to us the way forward? 
the joy of your salvation. And would you help us as we continue to follow you both now and all the days of our lives. We pray all this in your good name, Jesus. Amen.